Okay, so we're looking, uh, we're picking up where we've been. We've been studying the let, Paul's letter to Ephesians, if you are not aware of that. We've gotten about halfway through, maybe a little bit more than half. And today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, picking up in verse 17. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 5, verse 21. That's 36 verses. And I have been looking at this particular Sunday as one that I'm getting ready for. Because this, this is a biggie. This is going to be uh, a little lengthier. So um, I, I, I am going to be time sensitive this morning. But, um, but I also want to do the word of God justice uh, on some level. And uh, so just want to say this comment as we get started is that we're looking now at earthy content. Uh, everything that has been up to this point, chapters 1, chapters 2, chapter 3, even the beginning of chapter 4, is very lofty uh, theology. It is these grand strokes that Paul is painting on this canvas. Paul, the one who wrote this letter, of, of these theological realities that have been accomplished in Christ that, that lift our gaze up into the heavens. And now it's like he begins to land in chapter 4. He begins to say, okay, because of this, now this is how we live in this earth. And, um, and so let me just rehearse a little bit of what we've already heard. Chapter 1, we heard these in him realities that we're, we are blessed, that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed. If we've received Jesus, if we've placed our faith in him, these are realities uh, you become born again. That's not just some term that those weird evangelicals use. Like this, I, was, I didn't grow up an evangelical. It happened to me at the age of 17. I, I, it, I, it's not, not, a, not a doctrine, it's an experience I had that has changed my life ever since. He lives in me because I put my faith in him. And the, chapter 1 is saying these realities that are true of us now, we're forgiven, we're adopted, still having a sin nature. And ultimately... Um, it, 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 all of that builds to this idea that you and I, because of the spirit of the creator God inside of us, are destined to manifest something of his glory in the earth. Chapter 2 goes on to say, not only that is God in us, but God also, that we also are in him. That in being in him, we are where he is right now. Seated with God in the heavenly places. That that is our spiritual position. That the spirit of God that we receive upon being born again is the same spirit that is in heaven. And it, we are positioned in heaven now. Hope that makes sense. Chapter 3 moves on. Paul says this in verse 10 of chapter 3. He says, Now to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God would be made known by the church to the powers and principalities, which, uh, uh, which can basically say this, that now... The demonic forces, the dark forces that, that are in this earth because of sin, that now the, the church would exercise spiritual authority, just like uh, Jesus exercised spiritual dominion and authority, that the church is called to do that. It's a lofty idea, isn't it? But this is, this is scripture. And then chapter 4 culminates this idea that the church, oh, I skipped over chapter, the end of chapter 2 that we are being built together as a dwelling place of God through the Spirit, that God would live in the earth just like he lived in the earth through Jesus. Now he lives in the earth through the church, through the Spirit of God living in us. And then chapter 4 says that we're being built, we're being equipped, we're being put together, that we would be perfected, that we would be matured into the full measure of Christ himself, that the church 
would mature to a place where the world looks at the church and sees Jesus. Maybe that's not the case right now in all of what we call Christianity. And honestly, there's going to be a distinction between Christianity, a religion, and those who actually are literally following Jesus. Going to church does not make us a follower of Jesus. We all understand that. And so actually, I want to get into some of that this morning. Uh, the, pra- the reality of what we're called into. And, and so I guess you could maybe summarize it with this, I, this idea right here, is that Paul is saying God now lives inside of you. And you and I are his ambassadors in the earth. Therefore, live accordingly. And we get into the reality in chapter 417 through 521 of what that looks, some of what that looks like. Picking up in verse 17, if you'll turn with, there, with me there. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and some of this is not contemporary language for us, so let me just kind of bring some clarity here. This I say, Paul is saying, this is my thought, what I'm about to tell you, Paul would say, and testify in the Lord. In other words, this isn't just my thought, Paul's saying. I'm speaking this by divine decree as well. This is authoritative God's will, what I'm about to say to you. And what does he say? That you should no longer walk, which is another word for the way you live, live out your life. You should no longer live as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In other words, the reality of all we just said, chapters 1 through 4, should change the way that we live different from those who have not yet received this king. It changes your life. I can testify, it changed my life from the age of 17. I wasn't told certain things that I shouldn't do. I just, from the moment that I had that experience on my bed, all alone, age of 17, and, and, and received Jesus as my Lord, gave him my life, from that moment forward, you know, some people talk about the joy that they feel from that point forward. I started feeling bad about stuff. And I couldn't understand, I mean, like, and I was still rolling with the same friends and all that. We're all still doing the same stuff that you do in high school. But all of a sudden, I'm feeling bad about it. There was no church that I was a part of that was telling me these things. It just started happening. And what is that? It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of us pointing us towards the will of the one that we gave our life to. And so Paul is saying you should not lo- no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And then he describes, now Paul isn't being ugly about non-Christians here. He's not like putting them down. He's just describing what is. That number one, in the futility of their mind. Uh, and by the way, it is futile to live, to try to serve God out of your logic, out of your intellect. I'm not saying the logic and intellect aren't relevant. They're used. God gave us our logic and intellect. But this thing is a spirit thing. It's a heart connection. It's, you don't hear God here. You hear him in your heart. And he leads you as, as, as his flock from that place. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. I was alienated. I didn't know about this born-again life first 17 years of my life. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling. So I want to I, I just clarify what that means. Who being past feeling. That expression means, in the original language, the Greek in which this letter was originally written, it means to cease to feel pain, to cease to feel grief. 
I, when, before I received Jesus, I did not feel grief or pain about certain practices that I was engaged in. And then all of a sudden, as I just said a few minutes ago, I, I, that thing happens. I get born again. All of a sudden, I start feeling bad. I, w- I was no longer past feeling. I hope that makes sense. So, so this, this feeling that he's talking about, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, is a blessing. It doesn't feel nice when we're feeling it because it's requiring a shift and an adjustment and a change and even in most cases a leap of faith. But it is for our good. I stand before you this morning testifying there are things that I was bound to, addictions, behaviors, that because I simply followed the voice, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and allowed in my way, I am today free from those things. I can't even tell you how good that is. And before, I thought that it felt good to do the stuff that I was doing. I won't go into the details of what the stuff was. Most of you probably know anyway. Uh, but, but I thought that felt good. So, so much in the kingdom of God is that the things of this world look good and feel good in the moment, but they end up bringing destruction. So much of the stuff in the kingdom of God looks like something we don't want, looks scary, looks like walking on water, looks, uh, it looks like trust, but it ends up reaping rewards if we follow him. That's just the way it works have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you, (laughs) you know, in chapter 2 we saw but God, but now we're, but you have not so learned Christ. I want you to hear this. If indeed you have heard him. He did not say if you've heard about him, him being Jesus. If you have heard him, this, my friends, is the key to walking out the things that we're getting into today. It is not about abiding by a bunch of spiritual laws and principles. That's the old covenant. Jesus has liberated us to no longer serve God through duty and and a series of do's and don'ts to hearing him. When I started feeling that conviction in my heart about the practices I was involved in, that was hearing his voice, responding to that, not the church world, Not the legalism that we see in church and all the judgmentalism and all that stuff responding to him. That is what brought life. Not only that, he says, indeed, if you have heard him and have been taught by him. Not taught about Jesus. Not gone to Sunday school and heard a bunch of information. Taught by him. It's it's the voice of the shepherd that, that fuels this thing as the truth is in Jesus. That thing of, of if Jesus had remained on the cross and gone into the grave, then he could have le- left behind us a bunch of like teachings that we should live by. But he didn't. He rose from the dead, which is to say he is alive. That is undergirds the thing that we're looking at here, is that that is how we hear him. That is how we're taught by him, because he's not dead. He is alive. We just don't see him physically anymore. I know him, though. Uh, You know, I say that, and some people think I'm a a fruit loop. That's okay. I know him. I know him. I want to know him more, but I know him way more than I did when I was 17. And I, I, that, that is life, is knowing him. He is alive. Truth is not just in the Bible. Truth is in Jesus, the living person. That is where, that, that's the, all of scripture point to him. 
Hebrews 1 says, In times past God has spoken to us through various ways, through the prophets, various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. Jesus is alive. He's speaking. And that's what we're being called to in verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So in the scripture and in this letter, and especially in the verses we're reading today, there's this principle of what I call displacement, which is so important Thank you, Mickey, for giving me these little props this morning. Let's say, my friends, that this cup right here is made for a purpose, a divine purpose, one which I'm quite fond of. Uh, It is made to contain coffee, the nectar of all true churchgoers. Right? So that's its purpose. And let's say that we do this. It's a liquid, my friends, but it is falling far short of the glory of God, if, I'm, if, if, if you would agree with me, right? It's full of a liquid, right? But is it full of what it was designed to, to just go with me? I know that it can be for water as well, but we're going to call this a coffee cup. Is it, uh, is it performing its, its ultimate duty? Can? No, sir, it is not. This is wa- water, not coffee, and there is a distinction. So can it perform its duty as long as there's water in it? Thank you, Minda. No, it can't. So in order for me to make it to where it can do its duty, I'm going to have to pour this water out to make room for the thing that it was made for. Is this now good enough? Is it performing all of its created purpose? No. In other words, there's this thing of displacement. It's not enough to just not do the bad stuff. The bad stuff, in fact, you'll never win the war against the bad stuff in your life if you're just trying to not do bad stuff. You know, struggle as you might against pornography. It's that alone, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're fighting an uphill battle and a losing battle. But displacing it with what it was created for. Let's use the pornography example. Sexual purity. The holy original intent that God has in heaven, that is real in the heavens right now and is corrupted on this earth. Displacing it is the way that we walk in freedom, whatever your freedom may be. So let's look at that again. Paul just ran through three things. One that you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man, the first step is putting off the old man, which in essence is basically just identifying intentionally and consciously, I'm not living by the world's ways. You don't flippantly or haphazardly walk into that. It's an intention, right? Second is, and be renewed in your mind by the, renewed in the spirit of your mind, which is to say, to change your beliefs How did I get free of certain things uh, that that I was bound by? I began to see in the eyes of my heart, in my my spiritual eyes, I began to see in the particular area that I was bound, God's heavenly alternative. Alternative is not the right word, because that just sounds like it's like another choice. The heavenly original intent. 
And to choose to believe that, and then thirdly, as you put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness. I want to tell you, and I, all of us this morning, if you have been born again, if you have received Jesus, the Spirit of God is inside of you, you're already created in righteousness. Righteousness is already in you. This is not a performance or a behavior modification program. This is not just trying to, trying to do the right thing. It's in you the right thing. It's a matter of a relationship with Jesus and yielding our bodies to the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. And, and allowing the Spirit to renew the way we think and the way we believe. So it's not just don't do, or sorry, it's not just don't do that, it's do this, if I can say it that way. This is why Egypt, when Israel was, were slaves in the land of Egypt, and Moses was raised up as a deliverer, and he brings them across the Red Sea into the wilderness, it was not enough for them simply to be removed out of Egypt and to wander in a wilderness Egypt had to be displaced by a promised land. The law had to be displaced by the spirit. The old man is displaced by the new man. Verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. That's the bad thing, right? Lying. But that lying is displaced by this. For we are members of one another. In other words, I if I have an issue with lying, just not lying is not going to bring victory. If I start to grab a hold of this reality that we are members of one another, that changes my whole way of thinking, and I begin to realize lying, which is essentially this, holding information from another for your benefit at their expense. That's all lying is. If I realize that this one I'm lying to is a member of me, I'm, this, this is at both of our expense. And so there's a display, it's, it, every single negative thing that we address here this morning is displaced by something higher. We are members of one another. That's why we don't lie to one another. We're building together. We're on the same team. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Do you know that God gets angry? And therefore, it is okay for you and I to get angry. Be angry, but do not sin. That's the issue. Sin is when we allow wrath and unforgiveness and, uh, I, don't, I can't think of the word, but that thing when you start to kind of calculate how you're going to get back at somebody, vindiction, vindiction, revenge, yes. All of those things, that is sin. God does not do that. So be angry, yes, but do not let the sun go down on your wrath. We don't talk that way. Let me explain what that means. It means if you get angry in the course of the day, don't let that sun set before you have dealt with it in your heart. That means either forgive the person or sometimes, if necessary, go have a talk with them. And when you have a talk with them, do it as Jesus would, uh, not just giving them a piece of your mind. Again, don't sin. Wrath, vengeance, that's sin. Unity. Uh, making effort to walk in unity, as Rodney talked last week. That's, that's, uh, that's the godly thing. Uh, but then listen to this. Nor give place to the devil. I just want to point that out. The dangers of wrath and unforgiveness in our hearts. Um, this is why Jesus teaches us, when he teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us on a daily basis. I mean, he gave that to us to be a daily uh, 
pattern that we get into of, of thinking through all the places that we've been hurt in the course of the day and forgiving. Why? It gives, if we don't do that, it gives place to the devil. That, what I just said, I know that can sound hokey pocus pocus. That is real. Unforgiveness in the life of a hurt heart will fester and produce stuff in our mind, in our self, concepts of ourself, in the way we perceive others, the way we're able to have relationships. Unforgiveness becomes an infested wound. It gives place to the devil. So Paul's warning us here, out of love, don't do that. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no more but displacement, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So uh, stealing is not simply, you don't just not steal, you start to take responsibility for those who are vulnerable. And you're, when, if your eyes are shooting on that, that I need to not only provide for myself, but also be able to have something to give away, stealing isn't even a part of my vernacular anymore. Uh, verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. Again, there's, you see this displacement once again. Corrupt word that's just any kind of uh, worldly, unhelpful communication. But rather seek to edify, which simply means to build up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I was recently... Um, and some of you might be able to relate to this. I recently uh, had somebody that I was concerned about, but if I'm honest, I was maybe a little annoyed with them too. And uh, we were having a conversation, we being people and me, and, um, and, the, and this person came up in the conversation, and out of my heart, I was about to give voice to my concerns for them. And, but I was kind of like a little irritated with, as I said, in my heart, towards them. And as I'm about to voice, I felt the Holy Spirit, I just felt the quickening inside of me. As those words were about to come out, don't speak about my child and what could go wrong with them and what they could rather speak blessing over them, rather trust for the best. And it was like my word, because words carry power. And, and, and I didn't even want to let words come out of my mouth that would in any way be speaking what is not God's intention for their life. Uh, and so I just, I began the, the, the sentence, and then the person was like, what? And I was like, no, never mind. And so I'm just saying, let no corrupt communication, anything that's unhelpful, but rather seek with every word that you say, let it, let it you seek edifying others that it might impart grace to the hearers. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That, my friends, is the key to maybe all of what we're talking about here, is that thing of grieving the Holy Spirit. The opposite of grieving the Holy Spirit, obviously, would be to bring pleasure to the Holy Spirit, to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to allow him to have his way that, that makes an ease between heaven and us here on earth. When we resist, when we don't allow God into our hearts, when we don't trust him, and when we put these things off, that grieves the Holy Spirit. It's very simple, actually. Would you agree? This isn't even complicated. It just requires faith. Uh, verse 31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ in God 
forgave you. And so the author here, Paul, did not write chapter 5, chapter 4, verse 1, verse 2. He just wrote a letter. And we subsequently have divided it into chapter and verse. So, so his thought continues right into verse 1 of chapter 5, basing off of this last statement he just said, forgiving one another even as Christ forgave you. That thing of the forgiveness of God in Christ, fuel, it, it gives, a, it, it, when we receive that forgiveness, it causes our heart to become smitten with this amazing God who did what he did through Jesus. And in verse 1 he says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Some of us perhaps have had bad fathers, and so it's difficult to even understand what he's saying. But what he's saying here is the assumption that there's something in the heart of a child that wants to imitate their dad. We've had bad fathers sometimes and, and don't even really know what a, what a healthy father looks like. But this is the idea, is we see who God is in the person of Jesus. That he sent Jesus, while I was a sinner deserving of his wrath, he sent Jesus to have the wrath of God poured out on Jesus on my behalf so that I could receive forgiveness through him. That's so unfair, <laughs> right? That's so scandalous. And yet that's the way he, that's, that's his love for me. He wants to redeem me to that extent. And if he's forgiven me, then I want to imitate. I want to be like my daddy. I want to be like him. Be imitators of God as dear children. Verse 2, and walk in love. I want to say this, walking in love is ultimately the purpose. Yes, we can say that there are specific purposes of what that looks like, but in the general description, the love of God in us through Christ Jesus, that is our purpose, to walk in this earth in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. In other words, receiving the love is the fuel for us to be able to walk out that purpose. You are going to struggle big time trying to love with the love of God it, without first receiving his love. But there's something about receiving the love of God that gives us the fuel to be able to love something like him. And it's not us, it's him in us. And Paul's just speaking that over us to call out who we are. As he gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma but so if love is the purpose, if, it's, if God is anything, he is love, First John tells us. We're walking in his love. As a consequence, it is natural to not walk in, verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. What is fornication? The Greek word there is porneia, which obviously we get the word pornography in the English from. But the idea is, broadly, any sexual relations outside of the marital covenant. That's the idea of that original word. Fornication, uncleanness, which would speak of any kind of moral impurity. Covetousness, most of you would know, is just wanting what is not ours and belongs to another. Let it not even be named among you. Why? Because it's not love. It's not love. It's perhaps one... one one place where I uh, definitely agree with Beyonce, if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. <laughs> so cheesy. Anyways, uh, let it 
not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. By the way, we're not sinners. Yes, we have a sin nature, but the Bible never in the entire New Testament declares those who have received Jesus as sinners. Our identity before him is saints, holy. Not because we don't have sin working in us, but because now we have a spirit that is holy in us. And that's our true identity. So, as is fitting for the saints, that's who you are. Please don't say you're a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. You follow what I'm saying? I'm not saying that we're like acting as though we're more than... I'm saying speak out of who... You're not, you're not honoring God by saying something that disagrees with what he said about you and what he has made you. You are saints, so live what is fitting to the saints. Neither filthiness, which actually the original word there could be translated as obscenity, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. Now that um, foolish talking, those of you who know me, and I, I'm not trying to get legalistic here, but you know the idea there is like buffoonery, just being silly, but it's kind of crossing the line with just being recklessly silly, you know. I can go there. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not going to take much for me to, for me to go there. Uh, but the idea, folks, is silliness, uh, foolish talking, coarse jesting. That's silly talk. That's dirty jokes. None of that is, um, is pure. None of that is edifying. And so just to stay and maintain the course where the words that are coming out of our mouth are, are bringing grace to the hearers, are seeking to, uh, again, not trying to be all spiritual and make sure that every word that comes in your mouth is quoting Romans or Galatians or something. Be real, but our, our heart is love. And we get into something other than the love of God when we get into these other areas. But, ma'am, if it's hurtful. Oh, well, of course, if it's hurtful. Which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, and this is probably the most important thing that we want to look at today. No fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That is a weighted sentence that Paul just wrote there. What is Paul saying by that? Why is he saying that? If we've already given our lives to Jesus, we've become born again, we're children of God, we have a heavenly inheritance, why is he telling us and warning us that no covetous man, an idolater, an unclean person has any inheritance in the kingdom of God? He's saying that Jesus had to come into the earth and do what he did on that cross— and can I remind you what happened on that cross in that whole process? He was betrayed by his closest associates. He was wrongfully accused of something he didn't do. He was, uh, when given the choice to the crowd of releasing him or a person, Barabbas, who actually was a criminal, they choose to release the criminal and rather make sure Jesus gets crucified. He's crucified in what, is, what the Romans constructed as the most horrible way to die. He, he had received 39 lashings with a cat of nine tails. I don't know if you know what that is, but the lash with little glass parts in the end of it so that every time it strikes him in his back, it would rip flesh out. 39 times. 40 you're supposed to die. They whipped him 39 times. Then to carry the cross up. Why did he do all of this? Died of asphyxiation on the cross. It was horrible. Why was that required? Because of our sin. 
Our misunderstanding sometimes of the grace of God leads believers to thinking of a casual relationship with sin. I'm forgiven. I'm, it's okay. Uh, God loves me. Yeah, you are forgiven. Yes, God loves you. Sin is what put Jesus on a cross. If that is the case, sin is the enemy. Sin has wreaked havoc. Sin is the thing. Our sin is what required Jesus to have to make the sacrifice that he did. The only right response to receiving the forgiveness of, of God, of Jesus, through the sacrifice of Jesus, is to repent from sin. And repentance, yes, that is something you do the moment you get born again. You repent. But can I suggest it becomes a lifestyle that we are to walk in from that moment forward. Anything that we begin to see through the word of God or through the spirit of God or both that we see as being sin, that's the enemy. We have declared a war against that in our lives. We have crossed a line. This being the world, we've crossed over and said, I belong to Jesus. This is not about moral perfection. This is not about performance or about getting to a place where God can love us because we no longer sin. This is, I've received the love of God so that I, through his grace and power, can live a life more and more not sinning. And it's not just not sinning, it's living in the ways of God, displacing sin. But you and I, if we, if without the gift of repentance, are left with this watered-down thing that goes nowhere. God is forming us as his people into the image of Jesus. And I want to say as a church this morning, can we declare that war again with him? That we hate sin because he hates it. Anytime that we're coddling sin, it's, 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 it's being in bed with your own enemy. I don't want to do that. Like BJ, I want to win. <laughs> I like the way she says it. Let me just say a couple points about repentance quickly. Repentance is the only natural response to understanding the gospel. That's their only reasonable relationship towards sin is, is to repent. Do you know that's for your good? We're not doing God a favor. Which is the very next thing I want to say. Repentance is not doing God a favor. Can I also say some things, you know, in, in conventional church, uh, you, we're not in the Bible Belt, I know, but I grew up in Georgia and I went to church for a period of time in the Bible Belt and you got your, bi your big ones. You got fornication, cussing, drinking, and I don't know, there's probably another one. And you don't do that, don't smoke, don't drink, don't cuss, and don't fornicate. It's the Bible Belt, Ten Commandments. Can I say that I've had to repent for not being willing to preach because I was too scared of it. Doesn't fit in the Bible Belt little. You might need to repent because you didn't show love to a person who was mean to you and it didn't even cross your mind that you're supposed to show love to them. Do you know what I'm saying? This is not about the little Ten Commandments. This is about repenting from anything that you begin to see in that grieving of the Holy Spirit, which is for your good as he begins to show you God's will. Re can I just say this? Sometimes the idea of repenting from things that God's niggling in our hearts, it can seem as though, man, if I ever gave God that part of my heart, I mean, I would be like really giving God something. I would be doing him a big favor. And can I just say right now, 
Your repentance is not giving God anything but 101 reasonableness. <laughs> if God is who he is. It is, you're, not, you're doing yourself a favor, not him. He's already done the favor. So we, if we've got to change our, our, our mind with regards to sin. Repentance is simply coming to our senses. Repentance is evidence of trusting Jesus as our king. We can sing all day long about Jesus, you're my king, and blah, blah, blah. But without repentance, ain't no evidence of the reality of that. And to follow Jesus today is exactly as it was 2,000 years ago when he was physically here. We just don't see him anymore. But do you see what I'm saying? To follow Jesus is to hear his voice and to follow him. Not just go to church and, you know, whatever else Christians like to do. It's to, it's to follow the voice of the shepherd. And you can't do that but for repenting as you see what isn't the will of the shepherd. Repentance alone, this is the last thing I want to say about repentance, but repentance alone causes us to appreciate forgiveness. You will never have your heart wrecked by God, by how he has forgiven you in the love that he has had without repenting. It's only when I repent, which is to simply come into agreement with what he says about sin. It's only when I come into agreement with that that I see how wrong I was and how immeasurable his forgiveness and his love is towards me. But until I repent, I'm minimizing sin and maximizing the idea of ever repenting. This is why when Jesus went into a home with the Pharisee, if I can just briefly say this, the Pharisee let him in, kind of let him have dinner, talk to him, probably tried to spout out all of his great spiritual wisdom and knowledge. And then a prostitute, I believe it was, comes in and she is crying. And she takes all of her life savings and buys this perfume and, and anoints Jesus' his feet with it. And with her tears, she wipes off his feet and she, and she rubs the, her feet with her hair. And, and Jesus points out to this Pharisee, which is like one of these super spiritual Bible Belt people, right? And he, he says, I've been here, and not once have you cried, not once have you put any, anointed me with perfume. You haven't done anything. And yet, you see, from the moment that she has come into this room, she has not ceased to cry. And he went on to say, those who are forgiven much love much. The point of that was not because she was a prostitute and she did all this bad stuff and you're just kind of a good guy, so you're never really going to know the love of God, really, because you've never really done all that bad stuff. But man, her list of sin over there, gee, she's got a resume. She can really feel the love of God. That's not the point. The point is, you, Mr. Pharisee, are as much a sinner as Mrs. Prostitute over here. As much. Sin is sin is sin is sin. She, the difference between the two of you is she has repented. And she is full of the gratitude. She wants to give him her everything because she understands that he has given her his everything. The Pharisee, meanwhile, says, well, let me talk about how much I know about the book of Ezekiel. Showing off a spiritual, <laughs> I just embarrassed my son. Anyways, Jesus did not die, obviously, so we could continue sinning. That we could become righteous while still having a sin nature in this earth. And when the Bible says when he returns, this body is displaced by a glorified one that doesn't have a sin nature. We look forward to that day. Verse 6, and let's kind of quickly go through the rest of this. Let no one deceive you. Please hear this. Let no one deceive you with empty words, 
Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Oh, that we as the church can feel the weight and the nastiness and the, the destructive power of sin and care about it the way he cares about it. He cares about it to the point of sending his only son to a cross to do away with it. Let's treat it that way. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Displacement, in other words. Darkness isn't displaced by just trying to not be dark. It's displaced by walking in who we are, children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord is the posture that leads to what it is that we're shooting for. It's not just finding out what does all the rules and regulations of Christianity. It's, it's knowing him, being taught by him, hearing him, finding out what his will is. Verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Hit pause there. That does not mean that we as Christians go into the world and say, you're wrong, that's sin, you're bad. Whatever it is that we, we tend, to, tend to do. And, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I don't, like, he's holding the sign that says, like, he is returning or something. He's, the end comes near. I'm not sure if that's doing a whole lot of good. And, 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 and our job in the church is not to rebuke the world. <laughs> the job in the church is to allow the Lord, when necessary, to rebuke us for the sake of the world. That in responding to his correction and leadership, our lives are changed so that our life manifests light. And that exposes darkness. Not trying to prove other people wrong. Holy cow, American Christianity is at war with its own culture. And that is not what Jesus does or did. We are here to serve the culture. They may hate us or what, who cares? Our, point, our, our role here is to manifest love as it actually is in the person of Jesus. So, uh, uh, unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. And I say to us this morning, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly. That simply means to walk intentionally. Don't just kind of float down the river of life and just kind of hope God's will is done. Walk intentionally. Be mindful of what is the Lord's will. Be yielding yourself to the Lord's will, discerning what God's will is. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What does wise mean? It means somebody who has become aware of what God's will is. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If we can do that and walk in it, my friends, we can manifest who it is that chapters 1 through 4 say we are. That we are manifesting the glory of God. That we are the dwelling place of God. 
that we are the ones to, to execute some kind of spiritual authority of, over the dark things of this earth and that we are to be built into the image of Jesus himself. But it all gets down to yielding and understanding what the will of the Lord is. I can say this, uh, therefore do not be unwise, but understand, uh, sorry, verse 16, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. We'll end here quickly. Uh, I, I went the first year, I, many of you know, I'll just say it again, my first year after I, I got, I received Jesus outside of a church. It was not, it was not in a church setting. It was in my room, and I didn't know any other Christians in the way that I now understand Christianity. I didn't know any for a year in my life. But the Holy Spirit began to convict me, and that's one of the ways I know this thing is real, is because I, without any man influence, had the Holy Spirit begin to convict me of things when I gave my life to the Lord, without even being in church for a year. And one of those things was substance abuse. And uh, I began to read the scriptures, Proverbs, Psalms, and it talks about the fools and the unwise and the unrighteous. And I began to realize, oh my gosh, all these things is describing me and my friends. <laughs> this is like the way we live. And I just began to feel this conviction. And, and then I was like, I read this scripture right, that we just read, do not be drunk with wine. I was like, well, don't say anything about pot <laughs> or acid. So uh, <laughs> I guess, you know. I won't get drunk with wine, you know, but beer's good. Um, and so, by the way, the scripture, I don't want to step on your toes or make you uncomfortable, but the, nowhere in the New Testament does it say don't drink alcohol. It says don't be drunk. Why? In which is dissipation. You lose your senses. You lose the purpose, your ability to function in the purpose that we're talking about. That's the issue. And I, I fought and fought for a year, and finally I just surrendered uh, my life to that, and, and, and that may not sound like a big deal to you, but for me, my whole social world operated around drugs and alcohol. That's all we did. That's what we did, you know. And uh, so for me to stop doing that was to automatically become looked at as the Fruit Loop nutcase Christian kid guy. Like, what happened to Paul? And uh, it was a big social leap of faith, not just a difficulty in what I had become uh, um, somewhat um, um, uh, dependent on. And uh, this scripture right here, understand, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but there's, a, there's a, uh, a, a displacement described here, but be filled with the Spirit. And I just want to say that when our, what we're looking for in intoxication is a release. It's freedom. It's peace. It's the stopping of worrying. It's loss of inhibition. It's, it's that just kind of taking a chill. And God is saying, and I can testify today, being filled with the Spirit is a peace that far transcends. My, not my, not to, to mention, there's no uh, headache the next day. But, but there... It, the, it's a, it's a, I mean, as good as alcohol or marijuana or whatever can feel, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is, it's like the core of who you are and what you were made for. It's God, the creator, the one who created you, uh, it, it overflowing inside of your heart as you connect with him on that deep, deep level. How do you do that? Speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing 
and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've, can I say, become totally dependent on that to live, just as I was totally dependent on other things to live before. And uh, I would say to us this morning, let's all become dependent on that. We don't have a hope in the world of walking in what it is that we're talking about other than being filled with the Spirit, which comes from the, 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 the adoration, the singing, the, the bringing our, to, to gaze at his beauty, to, to surrender your heart, to acknowledge who he really is, to receive the love, and this is why we take communion every single week in our home around a meal together, is because it keeps the love, the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf at the center of this community. And can I say, let it be the center of your every day. Jesus' love 